Growth and results is a direct correlation with how you grow yourself, how you challenge yourself, and what are your expectations for how you show up, both for your people and for yourself and your own goals. I have made a consistent effort to put personal growth on the forefront of what I do each year. Something I've learned from Brian Holman was to always make your X factor your work ethic, not your talent. Your talent is what it is, and that's probably not going to change, but you're always going to be in control of your work ethic. I learned very quickly working with Larry Manley that excuses were simply not tolerated. And as a result, I don't tolerate excuses from other people. This was a huge life lesson that has impacted me in so many ways. Amir Habash is a young leader who has learned to walk his own path in life. He became a Cutco Vector District Manager at 18 years old and has achieved consistent growth over the past six years. With significant influence from two of the top leaders in the company, Amir has been able to combine talent, work ethic, and the mindset of a champion to become the best version of himself and to find his edge. He's now the assistant division manager in Vector's Carolina division, and he continues to grow his results and his influence. Enjoy getting to know the story and insights of Amir Habash. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Amir Habash. I'm very excited about this conversation as Amir is one of the young rising stars in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. He's been with the company since 2015, started with Brian Herlman and became a district manager within one year in 2016. He's been a top performer, particularly the past four years, working in Charlotte, North Carolina with Larry Manley. In 2019, Amir had his first year over a million dollars in sales. In 2020, he grew that to about 1.3 million and was appointed to be the ADVM or assistant division manager in the Carolina division at the start of 2021. He's having another solid year in 2021, number three currently in the elite league of district managers and number 16 in overall total sales among all district managers in the company. Amir has now produced over $7 million in Cutco sales. Amir Habash, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. This is going to be cool. I'm excited to learn more about you and your story and share it with our audience. I know you have a very powerful backstory, Amir. And so why don't you start by telling us about that? Yeah. So uh, thanks. Thanks again, Dan. 
So yeah, it just uh, started in uh, Charlotte. So originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I have two parents that both really come from a, a family of immigrants. So my mom's side of the family is from Ecuador. Uh, she was born in the United States. And my dad's side, uh, he was born in Jerusalem. And so all of, all of his family is actually from the Middle East. So I always start by telling people that just because I think being raised in a family of immigrants has always given me a, a much broader and wider perspective. And they've been amazing parents and, and both came to this country to give us awesome opportunities. So I have one brother. Uh, he's older than I am. He uh, graduated from Chapel Hill and uh, he currently works over at the EPA. And uh, outside of that, I just have an awesome girlfriend that I uh, just moved in re- recently, Riley. So that's just a little bit of my background. Growing up, I had uh, I was a huge athlete, huge sports fan. I was a four sport athlete in high school, and just always been competitive in nature, competitive in spirit, and uh, just always really liked having a good time. Man, always tried to have fun, and so I, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the business I'm in today and how much I've enjoyed it. And yeah, so that's just a little bit of uh, my backstory. That's cool to hear. We share the immigrant parent background. Amir, and I do think that there are a lot of inherent qualities that come from that that uh, that make a big difference in our lives, and I, and I think that some of those things will come out during this conversation. How did you end up starting selling Cutco? So I was recommended to the job <laughs> by a friend. Uh, her name was Sarah Watson. She uh, was actually in my brother's grade. He was a year older than I was. They had been in a few clubs together, and so working with her. She had been over to the house maybe once or twice, exchanged numbers along the way and stopped talking. Uh, no contact with this person for a couple of years. And then random text in April of 2015. And she said, what are you doing this summer? What are you doing for work? Do you have a job? I said, yeah, I have a job. I was working at a uh, law office at the time. Pretty much, you could say it was an internship, but man, that was just this was that was just a way to dress it up. Uh, I pretty much just shredded papers in this attic with no AC during the summertime. <laughs> uh, it would be like 120 degrees. I would have to wear workout clothes to go to the, the law firm. But at the time, being 17, getting paid $10 an hour under the table for working 20 hours a week didn't really seem like a bad gig. I was making 200 bucks a week as a 17-year-old still in school. And so my resounding answer was, no, I'm not looking for anything. And Sarah, who, who must have known I was money-motivated, proceeded to tell me how much income she made uh, working this job. And she told me she had made about $15,000 the previous summer selling kitchen knives. I, without hesitation, set up an interview and I got the job. I was one of the first uh, steroid virtual interviews with Brian Hurlman. This was shortly after James Crittenden introduced the uh, the steroid virtual interview program. So it was a one-on-one interview with Brian. I will say this, Brian rescheduled on me three times Okay. <laughs> Anybody that's a recruiter in our business knows that you reschedule someone for an interview three times. They're probably not showing up to that fourth interview. Well, lucky for Brian, Sarah was on me to, to get to this interview. And I got the job and 
without hesitation, I, I went to put in my two weeks notice at the law firm. And uh, my boss, the law firm went on to tell me that he thought Vector was a scam. And that was it. So that was the time at the law firm. And about a month later, I sold him some Cutco. So that's nice. how I heard about the job and uh, started just right before I graduated high school. Nice. Well, hey, shout out to Sarah Watson for sending you the message and hanging in there with you and making sure you got through the gauntlet of Brian Hurlman's reschedules to be able to get get into uh, the interview and training. That's cool. What were some of the most impactful experiences from your first year with the company? Man, that's just such a tough question. Anytime it's like almost getting asked, you know, what, what's the biggest thing you've learned from working with Cutco? There's, there's so many things I, I would say. Probably the biggest thing that that stands out to me is just my confidence overall. That transformation, I started in, in late April. My uh, Cutco birthday is April 17th, 2015. So I started in late April and really through the end of SC2 was just, just a complete transformation. I mean, even the people outside of work could see that. My parents could see that. I was just a changed person. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I'd always been really competitive. I always wanted to be having fun, having a good time. I think Cutco gave me a great way to really funnel that competitive spirit, to funnel that positive energy, that always wanting to have fun spirit in a really positive way for me. I think the confidence and the ability to go speak to anybody, anytime, any place, and show up and be impressive, that to me is probably the most valuable skill that I gained my first summer and something that I noticed right out of the gate with working with Cutco is that I became more confident in all aspects of my life. I haven't in, in kind of in the works, Amir, to do an entire podcast solo episode on the topic of building confidence and just where it comes from. And one of the places it comes from for sure is, is what I would call success experiences. It's when you try something, you do well, right? You succeed. It just begins to build. It's like brick by brick, your confidence grows. And in selling Cutco, reps have a chance to have success experiences all the time. I mean, from something as simple as getting an appointment to role-playing and doing well, to being recognized for something they did, to making sales, right? Every time we make a sale, it just brick by brick builds that confidence and it grows young people into these confident success machines down the road that can achieve their goals in almost anything that they want. And so... That's a cool thing, I think, about what we do. And you were a college All-American your first summer, right? Yes, sir. Wow. How, how much did you sell that first summer? So the first summer I sold, I think, tabs. It was 37,000 CPO. Nice. Uh, first summer. And uh, I started in April 17th, remember. So my fast start did not count. So we got to take that out. But mm. um, yep, right, right under 40. Yeah, that's great. And then I assume you became an assistant manager after that. And what led you to want to become a district manager so fast? Sure. So I remember getting promoted to assistant manager shortly after SC2 as students were starting to go back to school. I love being an assistant manager. I still remember that first fall, just, you know, Krista Carlo, Hunter Capriol, uh, Veronica Silva. I mean, just to name a few of students who started that summer towards the tail end of that summer, who we were able to impact three of all three of those individuals became branch managers. I remember Brian giving me the opportunity to run a training seminar while he was out of town uh, during that first fall campaign. 
And I rem- I'll never forget this. It was four uh, students in training. And this is my first training seminar ever. I get up there. I'm nervous as heck. I read this training script word for word for three days. We finished like two and a half hours early every day. And these kids went out and sold 9K, 7K, 6K, and 5K in their fast start. Wow. I'm like, this is easy. You're the I'm greatest like, trainer in history. I was like, like, I'm better than Brian. Like, let's go. Right. And I was like doing the math on how much I would make if I was the district manager running that training seminar. And I think that was the moment where I was like, I could do something here. I saw what Brian had and I wanted it, man. It seemed like this guy had the coolest life, the coolest job, right? The, the best lifestyle, still had the freedom and flexibility. I wanted that. I knew school was never my thing. So shortly after I submitted my letter of intent to run a district office, I dropped out of school. School was never my thing. In high school, I graduated with a 2.3 GPA. My high school was the biggest in the state. So I graduated 979 out of 1,004 um, from <laughs> high school. Yep. And uh, it's, it was never a lack of, of smarts. It was a lack of showing up to class. <laughs> and I remember even starting to, don't recommend this, but I started skipping classes to go do Cutco appointments. My energy, I was a better person when I was doing something that I, I loved. And I found that that's where my passion lied was building relationships, talking to people, not sitting in a classroom. And so fast forwarding to that fall when I was promoted to be an assistant manager, I was enrolled in community college for the sole reason that I had been told my whole life I needed to go to school. And that was it. Telling my parents who came to this country, both got college educations and growing up, that was it. They said, you're either going to college or we're kicking you out of the house when you're 18. So that was it. And so was in community college and for two or three months that fall, and I was just sitting in class one day and I'm just sitting there with the whole sitting there thinking, man, when am I ever going to use any of this stuff? I'm wasting time. I could be out there making money, building relationships, strengthening my skill set. And that just seemed so much more appealing to me. I figured college would always be there. I, I still remember getting up out of my calculus class and walking out the door. And uh, I never looked back. So that was kind of when I made the decision that, hey, Brian, I want to do this full time. And that's when I changed my branch letter of intent to a district manager letter of intent. And I figured, hey, I want to go district manager. I want to give this thing a shot. And worst case scenario, college will always be there. And uh, so, yeah, I was fired up and that was it. I still remember having that combo with Brian. He goes, are you sure? Are you sure? And we dropped my classes together and that was it. And that's where I made the decision originally to become a district manager. Wow. Very cool. I appreciate, Amir, your vulnerability and sharing your academic exploits (laughs) and that school was not your thing because I think there's a lot of people listening that can relate that have been sort of forced into a certain path because it's what somebody else wants. And it's not always the way to go. Now I say this, I went to college. I went to college for four years. I liked it. I graduated. It was an important part of my life. I recommend it. I hope my kids take that path, but it's not always the right path. When it's evident to somebody that's not the right path, I think it's okay to come to terms with that and to decide, well, what is my path going to be? There's a lot of trades people can learn that can provide a great lifestyle that can be lucrative. Of course, selling Cutco and working with us, like 
we encourage people to stay in school if they're there, but we don't require it. And we provide opportunity for the people that want it as you did. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to hear that, uh, that you saw that early on. You saw his school wasn't going to be the path you wanted, but you had a vehicle here to be able to have a great lifestyle and be successful. And you're clearly an intelligent and sharp young person who's capable of doing great things. So I appreciate just hearing that part of your journey, Amir. But no way do I want to discredit college. But yeah, I mean, I, I realized it wasn't my thing early and just led me to, to speed up the process of getting after life. And, and it's still always there if I want to go back. And yeah, so I appreciate you, you talking on that end too. Yeah, I mean, just as none of us would discredit college, I don't think anybody should discredit the path that you've chosen and that others like you choose because uh, there's a lot of great that can come out of uh, making sure that you follow the path that feels best for you in your life. So you've had great success as a district manager. I mean, if I can remember here, you said you were 17 when you started. So you were 18 when you started as a district manager. Yep. That's got to be one of the youngest district managers in the history of the company. I'm sure you're tied with a handful of others. And you've had tremendous growth over these last few years that to what do you attribute your success? So I think on the, just the growth aspect, I think it it is a direct correlation with how you grow yourself and how you challenge yourself and where are your expectations for how you show up on a daily and weekly, monthly and yearly basis for yourself, your people and everything that goes into that. Now, I'll be honest, Dan, the, the sales did grow every year. I didn't necessarily grow with my sales every year, but over time, I've made that a consistent effort to put on the uh, forefront of what I want to do on a yearly basis. And so going each year to year, my goal is typically around double what I did the previous year. I will say that I've never really hit my office sales goal for the year. So I think it's being okay with not hitting your goals and being okay with setting goals that to some might be goals that are, are really scary and goals that are maybe unattainable. But just having a healthy mindset around those goals and really what I wanted to accomplish. Because while the sales grew every year, the new business sales didn't always grow. And so I even think 2018 was my breakout year. And we did $980,000 in business. We fell just short of a million bucks. The next year, I had a lot of inherited CSP business. We had a big down new business year. And we still hit $1.1 million. I remember getting my Rolex and being recognized on stage. And I'll be honest, I felt like I deserved it more in 2018 than I did in 2019. And so going into 2020, it was like the prove it year, right? It was, hey, 2018, I worked my butt off. I fell just short. Last year, we worked really hard, but the new business wasn't there. We got handicapped up to the million dollar year, right? 2020 was just the prove it year. And so that was kind of putting it all together. But since I started being a DM, my first three, four years, I was always known as one of those PPR managers, right? All we like to talk about is PPR, right? And it's funny now being a vet DM of seven years, I, I always think it's funny when I hear a, a newer district manager has all their breads and all their eggs in one basket on being a PPR manager and they take so much pride in it. 
without realizing that the recruiting aspect is where you can really spread your impact and really grow a massive business on both fronts, recruiting and PPR or providing a great experience for these students. And so it was always just a constant battle of, hey, can we add recruiting to the funnel? And up until 2020, Dan, this might blow your mind, but I've, I had never had a summer where I had recruited more than 100 ever. Whoa. We had done half million dollar summers, all that. My biggest recruiting summer before 2020 was 97. That first year where we were number two in Silver Cup, I think we recruited 47. In 2017, it was like 70, right? I mean, it was just caterpillar growth. And so that was really frustrating. The PPR, it's hard to grow. And so 2020 really gave us that first year where recruiting was the forefront. And I think that we would have gotten it done without really the aid from the pandemic last summer. We had weeks where we set four or 500 PRs in a week. Our SMRA team alone outset every district office in the Eastern region except one total. And so that just getting finally to a point where I was able to put it all together and really attacking those areas of the business, right? You know, realizing, hey, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Not focusing too much on what the weaknesses are, but at the same time, still making progress towards identifying what that is so we could put it all together. So I, I think it was just never being satisfied with the results. That was a huge part of just growing over the past five years, for sure. Yeah. I sense parallels between my early career and your early career in that when I first went out as a DM, I was known as like the PPR guy that was really good at training, but didn't really recruit a lot of people, especially the first couple of years. We recruited more than 97, but it wasn't uh, that good. And PPR never compared back then to some of the numbers that people are putting up now. But then when I realized that like the whole concept of being a PPR manager, it's such a weak cop-out in Vector. It's like, you want to be a PPR manager with big recruiting, right? Why would you want to be great at productivity per rep and limit it to like, well, I'm only going to have 10 reps in my TLA at the end of the summer when you could have 20 or 30 or more, right? It's like building your recruiting is what really makes a manager most impactful in their territory in this business, right? It's being great at recruiting. And so finally, I was able to put together big recruiting summers with really good productivity per rep. And that's when you know you're at the top of your game as a manager is when you're one of the better managers in recruiting and you're one of the better managers in productivity. You kind of put that formula together that's when you know that you're one of the top performers for sure. And it seems like it uh, you, you moved in that direction over those early years. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the development part. My secret to development has always just been, take your kids out. I just spend as much time with them as I can. The development happens automatically. And so it's a lot more fun when you have 10, 20 people at those events than two or three. And it, and it, it kind of served that new challenge of, hey, you've developed two or three managers in the branch and district managers in one summer. How about 10? And so that kind of forced me to elevate my game and realize that every single one of those people has to be impacted at the same level where I'd like them to as they were when we didn't have a lot of sales reps. And so it not having a lot of sales reps for a long time also really changed my mindset and a lot of things like PDI, daily coaching. 
right? To where even today, when we have a massive team, I still remember when we had 10 reps, right? And how important it is to get that time with all of those representatives and giving them the same quality of the opportunity that they would receive if they were in a small office without a lot of other reps. So yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You mentioned 2019, you received an inheritance. And I just want to say that doesn't have to detract from what you what you achieved that year, Amir, it's likely, I don't know all the circumstances, but it's likely that you earned that inheritance, right? As a division manager, we look to shore up the people in our organization who are earning it through their performance. And through your performance in 2016, 17, and 18, you very likely put yourself in a position where Larry felt like this was the right move for you and your career and for his division. And so I just want to say that that's probably what really happened right there is you earned a little extra business versus just sort of being handed it because uh, that's how it is for most people as they grow up in the company as well. In 2018, you fell just short of a key milestone. What do you feel like you learned from that experience that uh, helped you the next couple of years? Yeah, I think a lot. I think one, just understanding that it's okay to not tie yourself so emotionally to milestones like that. In the grand scheme of things, right? In any other business, somebody does $980,000. What do they tell people? We did a million dollars. Yeah. (laughs) It's not weird to round... You're just like you're rounding up that much. I wouldn't even say that's really misleading people if you're just trying to shorten your sentence. But in our business, it was just this glorified thing. And so I think that 2019, 2020, 2021 now... That was really my shift. I was like, look, here's our goal for the year. We're not going to worry about what everybody else is doing. We're going to make sure that 100% of our activities are focused on result-based activities. And that's what we're going to get after. And we're going to wish every other manager the best. I hope we don't get first because I want every manager to do a million bucks too. right? And being in that mode where I want to share the knowledge, right? seek out the knowledge from other managers and, and realize that we're all working together as a team here. We're all a part of the same company. We all want the company to succeed at a high level. And so I think just for me, just detaching myself from that was huge. I've always viewed competition as a tool in the toolbox. It's good to leverage it. It's good to use it, but it's not the end-all be-all. And I've always been able to invest myself into my goals fully while striving for them, whether it was a goal to hit a certain milestone or a competitive goal. But the minute it's over, you now need to learn to separate from it, right? You either hit it or you didn't. You can't change that. You either won or you didn't. If it's a competitive goal, you can't change that. You can never control what somebody else does. And so as soon as the goal is over, you detach from it and you move on to the next goal. And that mentality has always served me in this business. I do think it's important to have specific goals. I do think it's more important to have targets that are in your control versus competitive goals, like being number one, because you can, you never control. I mean, Everybody that wanted to be number one this year as DMs is looking up at Kyle Lopes going like, oh my God, how am I going to beat that guy, right? And this year, nobody's going to. But in terms of the future, right? When people like Kyle are out there performing at a high level, it gets us all to think bigger about what we can do. And now we can set bigger goals. And so competition helps us all evolve and grow. It provides a lot of great benefits, but it's, it's far from being the end-all be-all in Vector. 
And I was always the kind of person that, you know, if I won number one, it was great. It was always nice. But when we came in second or third or fourth or fifth or wherever, I'd be one of the first guys calling the number one guy to say, hey, nice work. Congratulations. And, you know, and let's run it back. Right. And that's, uh, I think that's just a healthy way to view competition and goal setting uh, in a business like ours. Yeah. And just to add to that, I'm sure Kyle Lopes' only goal wasn't to be number one this year or else he'd probably be pretty bored right now. Right. Um, everyone whose goal is number one, they're looking up at Kyle, but Kyle's probably there because he has goals outside of being number one. And that's probably not his number one focus. Yeah. Just from the the few talks I've heard, it sounds like his focus is caring about his people. Yeah. Um, so I love that you brought that up. Yeah, exactly. What do you feel, Amir, is your secret sauce to success, either professionally or personally or both? That's a great question, Dan. I, I, I would definitely say it, it's just been my work ethic since, since I started working with Cutco. I remember Brian Hurlman told me something once that stuck with me forever. And it was actually, he was giving me advice on how to have a coaching conversation with the sales rep that we had. And the problem with this sales rep was that he was just immensely talented, naturally charismatic. He sat down with them and did the demo. He was going to rock it. This kid had a high average order, high closing percentage, all the above. And you know, I was taking notes, right? I was like, because that was a lot when Brian, instead of doing the coaching calls, would walk me through how to do the coaching calls. And then I would go do it myself. And one of the key bullet points that we were focusing on with this rep was to always make your X factor, your work ethic, not your talent. Because your talent is your talent is your talent. It's not going to change, right? But your work ethic, you are always in control of. And that was the message that that representative needed to hear that day. And little Brian know that to this day, that, that stuck with me. And my first summer on the job, that was uh, one of Brian's first million-dollar summers back when it was still a pretty big deal to do a million bucks. We were uh, number one in new business in the country. Uh, He won three silver cups that year, total business, new business, district team. And that summer, I was the number one sales rep out of over 250. And I did it with a $235 average order. And... That was it. I mean, I remember during SC2, there was another representative and he was super competitive too. And I remember this kid had like a four or $500 average order. We just duped it out all summer. And uh, that was it. I mean, I was writing up six, seven orders in a day. He was writing up two or three. We were, we were neck and neck. And that was always my mission. When we were sitting down for phone jams, my number one goal was just to make more calls than the person sitting next to me. I don't know if you're, if you're, a, if you're familiar with the movie um, Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Yeah, of course. So if you remember in that movie, he talks about saving eight seconds by not putting down the phone. He talked about saving time by not drinking water. He talked about you know doing all these little teeny tiny things 
And, and that was it. Like I would, every hour or so, I would just go around and make sure I was making more calls than everybody. And that was my mission was just, I was like, look, I'm I'm realizing at this point, this is a sales job and I'm not always going to control everything. When I was a new rep, my closing percentage was like 50%. I was terrified of people telling me no. So I needed to book a lot of demos because I was only going to sell on half of them. And, um, so that was really it. I mean, that was just my mindset when it came to everything was, Hey, can I make more calls than the person sitting next to me? Hey, can I do more demos than the person sitting next to me? When it came to being a DM, I remember when I was the number one new DM in our region, they would ask me to give talks all the time. And I hated it because I wasn't doing anything different. And that's all I told him every single talk. I was like, look, here's my schedule. You know, it was literally the Kyle Lopes talk, right? And we're, and and it's like every manager that's been here 10 years is like, okay, well, what if I don't want to work a hundred hours? Right? <laughs> and uh, what's the uh, secret then? Um, so, you know, but it was for new DMs and, and I was, I mean, I just remember Dan for, the time I was a sales rep through year three as a DM, I took zero days off. The only time I took off was for Cutco trips. That was it. After my first summer, I will say there was one day my first summer where my friends had just given me so much crap to come hang out with them. I just felt weird not working all day. So I think it all circles back to, you know, I'm not telling anybody, look, you need to go out and work 13, 14, 15 hours a day, but have a job that you love so much where you don't mind doing that. And that was it for me. I, I loved every second of it. And, and I, I've really built something now where eight months a year, my development is running the show and I get to have those impactful conversations with my development, which is, you know, what I enjoy more now is, is, building and growing my development candidates. So it's really just kind of set up nicely to kind of put me now in a spot where I have a lot of other stuff going on in my life. You know, I have a beautiful girlfriend, as Brian always says uh, about Alexandra, she is the best sale I ever made. And it's just been good to be at a place now where that work ethic has set me up where I've built something that I'm proud of. And it's put me in a place where now I only have to work 13, 14 hours a day if I really want to, or if it's a key time and we need to step up because those times are so important. But that's been it since day one, just trying to outwork the person next to me and, and, and having something that I loved enough to do that because I certainly didn't have it before. Yeah. I love hearing that just example of have something that you love so much that you want to work because it's fun. You're enjoying it. You're pursuing your vision and you're helping other people and all the things that we do in our business that make us want to put in the effort and especially on the front end of anything. And then also, especially like as you're learning that there's a Jim Ronism where he says, you make up in effort what you lack in skill. And this is an example of you and the other guy that you sold with that first summer who might've been more quote skilled than you, or maybe he was just a little bit more lucky, but call him more skilled just for the sake of argument. But you outworked him and therefore you were able to outperform him. And I think that that, that resonates for a lot of people who are new in this business or young entrepreneurs is being able to make up an effort, what you lack in skill. And then gradually the skill starts catching up as you do that. When you said uh, a lot of managers who've been in the business 10 years are going to say, well, what if I don't want to work that much, right? Well, of course, like the longer you're, you're doing something, 
And the older you get also, and particularly when you start having a family and other types of things in your life that are demands on your time, I don't think any of us want to work 100 hours for our entire life. And, and the answer to that is really simple. And it's what you just said. It's development. The answer to that is development, right? I've talked about this before on, a, on numerous of these podcasts. Is if you were to break down how many hours of work it takes to run a top-notch vector operation, maybe we'll say it's 200 hours of work is what it takes to be a really top-notch operation. Right. Well, there's a lot of ways that you could do that. You could work a hundred and have five assistants that work 20 each. Right. But you could also work 40 and have 10 assistants that are working whatever that would be 16 each. And that's another way to get there. And having that development is what really enables you to have great results without having to work super hard. But the only way to get there is through the effort on the front end. And there's no sugarcoating that. There's no hiding that. Like that is just the reality of what it takes to be able to get to a great place in this business, to get to a great place in life. There's almost nobody I know who's highly successful in their 40s or 50s or older that didn't bust their ass when they were younger for a little while at least to get there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Who do you feel have been most impactful in your career, Amir? I would say Brian, Brian and Larry for sure. So Brian Holman. Uh, was my district manager when I started in South Charlotte. And then Larry uh, was my division manager when I started. And of course, he's still my division manager today. I've always said Brian for that question, but I got to give Larry credit. It's been five years now. He's starting to he's starting to work his way up. Brian was who I started with. And it's funny just because I think me and Brian just to have so many similarities. And so I, I almost find it hard to say he he really developed me as much, but Brian is what triggered my excitement, my love for the business, my enthusiasm um, towards run, wanting to run an amazing office to having uh, a fun culture. Brian showed me how to run a business, how to run the business and how to do it the right way and make it fun, make it something that you're proud of, make it a place where people like are fired up to show up to work. I mean, that was the culture I saw when I was a new rep. And that was the culture I knew right away I wanted to replicate. I would say Brian is probably one of the best people on the planet at instilling confidence in people. I remember going to uh, my SC2 interview, right, for the Alliance. And I remember going to this meeting thinking like I was going to tell him my goal was to sell 10K. And I'm like terrified because I'm like, dude, if I tell Brian that my goal is 10K, I got to sell 10K. And I wasn't really sure I could sell 10K. So that was the plan. I go into this meeting. I don't know what happened in that meeting. I think I blacked out, but I leave the meeting and my goal is 18K. And I'm like, holy shit. Um, And it was just Brian believing in me more than I believed in myself at the time showing me what was really possible, trying to shift my thinking onto what could really happen. You know, obviously something like that. I went out, sold 18K for the push, right? That goes a long way, um, you know, and and how you view things or how you attack things just in all aspects of life. I remember getting off stage after getting sixth place at SC2 2015. And I like went back, like high five and everybody lit Cutco conference in person. Uh, I get back to our row. Brian gives me a high five. He says, dude, you're going to be a great district manager one day. 
And this is like July. I'm like planning on going to community college in three months. I'm like, the hell are you talking about? I'm going to be a district manager. I was like, but I remember that. And it stuck with Brian probably doesn't remember. He probably told seven other people that that day. Right. But it stuck with me. And then we kept going and, and he ultimately developed me into being the district manager. That next eight months after the summer, I pretty much was at Brian's house all the time. I was running the office. I was actually his only assistant manager. That was probably the only year Brian only put out one manager, but I was running the show. As you know, Brian likes to travel a lot during the fall and spring. And so when he was in Prague, I was I was the AM running his office. Yeah. And um, you know, I thought that was so cool. I was like, I was like, I'm running his office. Like, I want to be a district manager. And so I I had no resentment there. It was all just like, holy crap, that is so cool. I want to do what he's doing. And then with Larry, here's what I think I've learned from Larry that I think has been so impactful on my life. And it's really turned me into a better person. I learned very quickly working with Larry that excuses are not tolerated. I realized very quickly that I could never give Larry an excuse for anything. And I was like, how is this possible? I have to just be on point all the time. And so that really just forced me to go into a place where I had to just be on point with everything. And then eventually, I didn't tolerate excuses from other people when it came to what I was going to be willing to accept as far as you know how I was going to run my business from a sales rep or from an assistant manager. What am I willing to tolerate? Um, as Larry always says, you'll get what you tolerate. And so I think just that was such a huge life lesson that's impacted me just in so many areas. I couldn't even put it into words. Asking me which one of them has impacted me more is asking like, kid to pick their favorite parents. So that that's, (laughs) but man, I've been so lucky and so privileged to have started in Brian's office to have been the legends, one of his development candidates. And I I tell reps in our division that all the time, like that is crazy. I mean, to there's 40 division managers, there's only one legend and we get to work with him. Hey, you definitely were lucky to have been able to be born yeah. in this vector business with guys like Brian Hurlman and, yeah. and Larry Manley. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, for your entire life, you will look back on those two guys as having been formative in your life, regardless of how long you spend here at Vector. Hey, flipping that question around, who are you most excited to impact and develop in your organization right now? Yeah. So last year in 2020, best summer ever, amazing explosive results, right? And we got one branch manager from that, from the 250 plus recruits that we had. Her name was Elista Parks, and uh, she branched this past summer in 2020. And so that was a big focus this summer was, hey, we need to capture some of this development. We had less recruits uh, in 2021, uh, but we were still able to get eight candidates into TLA and so that was that was obviously really exciting coming off a bigger CPO summer to come back and actually have some development. So uh, two that I'm most excited about are Elijah Smith and Megan Moore. They are going to be our two new branch managers out of our North Charlotte office. And then outside of that, we have a big pool of really high quality 20 to 30, 40K assistant managers assistant manager candidates for next summer, like Jordan Jones, uh, James Clyburn, Brie Reale, Debbie Kundu, just to name a few. And right now I've just been working hand in hand with uh, Megan and Elijah. I would say Megan Moore, but Megan Moore Moore, her last name's Moore. 
And this fall campaign, I've really given her the opportunity to run the office. And I've never delegated as much as I've delegated this fall. And I will this spring. But it was really, I'd say the first time I've delegated a lot and did it the right way. We're going to hit P Banquet next week, which is exciting. And she is pretty much setting 90% of the PR. She's running 90% of the interviews. She's taken all the incoming hotline stuff. And so, but doing that in a way where I'm checking in with her every single day, bi-weekly, and then and then we we sit down every week to just kind of have our little powwow. And then now we're getting Elijah involved a little bit. And so he's going to go out and branch as well. But that's really exciting. And we're doing a lot of in-person events over the holidays. I've really just been excited about capturing this time to... We're doing a Panthers game and a Hornets game over the winter break. Uh, we're going to do like a, uh, a Christmas party for our TLA. And so it's just been exciting to develop representatives that at one point were just a little box on the screen and turn them into recruiting badasses. I'd say that was just really exciting because before it was people in person, they were always that person to us. But to take somebody out of Zoom world, bring them in person, have a close relationship with them and show them how to run a business at a high level from home and how to impact the masses. I don't think I've had assistant managers as fired up as I do right now of just going out this summer and just impacting people's lives. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been a blast working with Megan and Elijah and and working on obviously this coming summer, hopefully we have a district manager or two or three and even more branch managers for next summer. Outstanding. Outstanding. Very cool, Amir. It's good to hear. Hey, just to wrap this up, as you look uh, into your future, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you're doing? Yeah, I kind of stole this from Brian a long time ago, but I'm sure you're familiar with the butterfly effect. My goal is to impact millions of people through this opportunity, even if it's through the butterfly effect. I know that I have past district managers that are maybe no longer with the business and and many still are, uh, but the ones that aren't are out doing amazing things. They're starting companies, they're hiring employees, they're teaching some of these lessons, whether they realize it or not in their everyday lives. As I'm sure you and I both know, not a day goes by where we don't use the skill set that we've gained in Vector in some way, shape, or form or capacity, regardless of whether these students I've worked with, I'm sure not all of them will even realize that, but just the fact that it is happening, that's why I do this. I'm still here, Dan, because I know that this job is the best thing a 17 to 23, 24-year-old could do. Hell, it's the best thing anybody could do if they want to build experience, build confidence, gain a meaningful skill set. That's why I'm going to have my kids do this one day or heavily encourage them, not require. (laughs) I'd like to inspire them to want to sell Cutco, not require them to sell Cutco. And it's cool. I've seen that from Larry and his kids. I mean, it was awesome how he did that and without pushing it on them at all. And, you know, they, they wanted to do it. And so as far as spreading my influence, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep letting people know what my mission is. And that is to impact people in the masses uh, by the millions, even if it's through the butterfly effect. And, you know, hey, maybe I will, maybe I won't hit that one day. But I think if that's always my goal and my mission, I think we're going to do some good on this planet. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Sounds great, Amir. Hey man, it's been uh, a lot of fun getting to hear your story, your lessons, your insights. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much, Dan. 
All right. That was Amir Habash, everyone. Cool to hear how he was a personal recruit of somebody who he had barely spoken to over a couple of year period. And for anybody who's a current vector manager, I think that's a great testament to our PR program. And never doubt that when you're making that effort to get as many PRs as possible, to get as many recruits as possible, the impact that might have on those people. I think it, uh, that was a really good reminder of that. I enjoyed Amir sharing how school was not his thing. I do think there's plenty of people that that resonates with. And whether it does or not, one of the key concepts that is important is putting yourself in a position of choice. And that's one of the things we try to do in Vector is put ourselves in a position of choice by increasing our credentials, by increasing our learning, by proving ourselves. We put ourselves in a position where we can pick what's going to be the next opportunity for us. And that's the best position to be in. And of course, Brian Herlman always showed the vision of what Amir could become and help speak it into reality by giving him confidence and encouraging him. Amir shared how his growth over his first few years as a manager paralleled his personal growth. And of course, we're always growing outside the business personally if we want to be able to achieve higher levels in anything. But it also, as a new manager, is important to hone your skill set in the business. And I, and I know Amir did both of those things. And that's how he was able to put it all together as both a high productivity manager who was a good trainer, but also learned the recruiting side of the business and eventually excelled in that as well. He talked about work ethic. And I'm just reminded of a concept that is called the slight edge. And I got this from a book by that title. This concept that I've learned is that you view each day as either a plus one or a minus one. And at the end of the day, you can look back and say, was this a plus one or was this a minus one? There's no zeros. You either had a plus one or a minus one. And a lot of that just comes down to your own grit and your own effort throughout that day. Did you really bring your best? And when you can learn to bring your best every single day, if you can bring your best one day more than others in a given week, right? That can enable you to have such a huge edge over others in the long run. Amir also talked about the impact of Brian Herlman and Larry Manley in his life. And he kind of jokingly talked about how Larry's, you know, striving to catch up to Brian on that list. If any of you were to make a list today of the five most impactful people that you've ever had in your life, most people would have their original Cutco manager on that list. And that says a lot about the impact we have on others. And think about the reverse side of this. How many people would have you on their list of the most impactful people that they've ever had in their life. When you have legions of people that would say that about you, that means you've had an amazing impact on the world. You're in a great career. You're in a good place that makes a huge difference in the world. Hope you enjoyed this with Amir Habash today. Thanks everybody for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.